Hello and welcome to the Anglo-Saxons in their own words. My name is Danny. Today we're going to be talking about the most famous Anglo-Saxon work of all time, Beowulf. Even if you don't know much about the Anglo-Saxons or haven't done a lot of Anglo-Saxon research, you probably have heard of Beowulf. Not only is it a very famous English language work, being one of the few well-recognized works of Old English, it's also a really famous story that for some reason has managed to continuously capture the attention of English-speaking peoples over the centuries. There have been multiple movies about it, which have had varying degrees of success, but a lot of people also have to read Beowulf in school. Now, I didn't end up reading Beowulf until a lot later in life because I didn't have to read it in school. But if you're like me until a few years ago and you never read Beowulf or never heard Beowulf, I'm excited to tell you that I'll be reading from it today to you guys. I'll be reading from J.R.R. Tolkien's translation of Beowulf. J.R.R. Tolkien is most famous for his books The Lord of the Rings, but he was also an intense Anglo-Saxon scholar and a philologist at the University of Oxford. I find Tolkien's translation of Beowulf to be very compelling and poetic. I hope you guys do too. I'm going to pick up the story of Beowulf at the point where we're in Hrothgar's Hall of Heorot. In this part of the story, Beowulf comes face to face with the evil Grendel. Let's listen in. Unferth spake, son of Eglaf, who sat at the feet of the Lord of the Shieldings. A spell to bring forth strife he loosed. The quest of Beowulf came thus boldly over the sea, gave to him great displeasure. For it was not to his liking that any other man in this world, below, should ever accomplish more honor under heaven than he himself. Art thou that Beowulf who strove with Breca in swimming upon the wide sea? That time when ye two in pride made trial of the waters, and for a rash vaunt hazarded your lives upon the deep? No man, friend, nor foe could dissuade you two from that venture fraught with woe, when with limbs ye rode the sea. There ye embraced with your arms the streaming tide, measuring out the streets of the sea, with swift play of hands gliding over the ocean. The abyss was in tumult with the waves and the surges of the winter. Seven nights ye two labored in the water's realm. He overmatched thee in swimming. He had greater strength. Then, on the morrow tide, the billows bore him up away to the Hithromus land, whence he, beloved of his people, sought his own dear soil, the land of the Brandings and his fair stronghold, where a folk he ruled, his strong town and his rings. All his vaunt truly did he, the son of Banstan, accomplish against thee. Wherefore I expect for thee a yet worse encounter, though thou mayest in every place have proved valiant in the rush of battle and grim war, if thou darest all the night-long hour nigh at hand to wait for Grendel. Beowulf spake, the son of Edgetho, Lo, my friend Unferth, flushed with drink thou hast spent much speech, telling of Breca and his feet. 
Truth I accounted, that greater prowess in the sea had I, more labor in the waves than any other man. We two agreed, being boys, and made our vaunt, being yet both in the youth of life, that we would hazard our lives out upon the ocean, and that we accomplished even so. Naked we held our swords, hard in our hands, when we two rode the sea. We thought thus to defend us against monstrous fish. Never at all could he swim away from me afar upon the streaming waves, more swift than I upon the deep. From him I would not go. Then we two were together in the sea, five nights' space, until the tide drove us asunder, and the boiling waters. The coldest of storms, glooming night, a wind from the north came with cruel onslaught against us. Rough were the waves. The hearts of the fishes of the sea were stirred, and there the corslet on my flesh, links stoutly wrought by hand, gave me aid against my foes. My woven raiment of battle lapped my breast adorned with gold. To the abyss drew me a destroying foe accursed. Fast the grim thing held me in its gripe. Nonetheless, it was granted to me to find that fell slayer with point of warlike sword. The battle's onset destroyed that strong beast of the sea through this my hand. Thus many a deadly assailant menaced me grievously. With my beloved sword I ministered to them, as it was meet. In no wise had they joy in that banqueting, foul doers of ill deeds, that they should devour me sitting round in feast nigh to the bottoms of the sea. Nay, upon the morrow they lay upon the shore in the flotsam of the waves, wounded with sword thrusts by blades done to death, so that never thereafter might they about the steep straits molest the passage of seafaring men. Light came from the east, God's beacon bright, the waves were lulled, so that I could descry the headlands out to sea and windy cliffs. Fate oft saveth a man not doomed to die when his valor fails not. Howbeit it was my lot with sword to slay nine sea demons. Never have I heard beneath the vault of heaven of more bitter fighting by night, nor of a man more unhappy in the torrents of the sea. And nonetheless, from the grappling of accursed creatures, my life I saved, weary of my venture. Then the sea, the tide upon the flood, with boiling waters, swept me away to the land of the Finns. Never have I heard men tell of thee any such cruel deeds of war and dreadful work of swords. Breca never yet in the play of battle, nay, neither of you twain, hath accomplished so daring a deed with blood-stained blades. Yet little do I glory in it, not though thou wert the slayer of thine own brethren, thy nearest kin. For that thou shalt in hell suffer damnation, though thy wit be good. I tell thee for a truth, son of Eglath, that never would Grendel have achieved so many a deed of horror, fierce slayer and dire in thy lord's despite, humbling him in hair-rot, if they, heart and soul, were thus fell in war as thou thyself accountest. Nay, he hath found that he need not greatly dread avenging wrath, nor dire pursuit of swords from your people of the conquering shieldings. Forced toll he levies, none he spares of the folk of the Danes, but followeth his lust, slays and ravishes, for no vengeance looking from the spear Danes. But I shall now ere long, in battle, oppose to him the might and valor of the Geats. He will return who may, triumphant to the Mede, 
when the light of the morning on the following day, the sun in sky robes shines from the south over the children of men. Then, in joyful hour, was the giver of rich gifts, gray-haired, bold in battle, prince of the glorious Danes. He believed that succor was at hand. Shepherd of his people, he had discerned in Beowulf's words the moveless purpose of his mind. There was laughter of mighty men, the din of singing, sweet were the words. Wailthil went forth, Hrothgar's queen, mindful of courtesy, with gold adorned she greeted the men in the hall. And then the cup she offered, noble lady, first to the guardian of the East Dane's realm, and wished him joy at the ale quaffing and his liege's love. He, King Victorious, in delight partook of feast and flowing bowl. Then the Lady of the Helmings went to and fro to every part of that host, to tried men and young proffering the jeweled vessels, until in due time it chanced that she, ring-laden queen of courteous heart, to Beowulf bore the cup of mead, and hailed the Geatish knight, and gave thanks to God in words of wisdom, that her desire was granted to her, that she might trust in any man for comfort in their miseries. That cup he then received, grim warrior at Wilthow's hand, and thereupon his heart being kindled with desire of battle, fair words he said. Thus Beowulf, son of Edso, spake. This did I purpose, when I went up upon the sea, and sat me in my sea-boat amid my company of knights, that I wholly would accomplish the desire of your people, or would fall among the slain fast in the clutches of the foe. A deed of knightly valour I shall achieve, or else in this mead-hall await my latest day. These words well pleased that lady, the proud utterance of the geat, with gold adorned she went, fair queen of the people, to her seat beside her lord. Then again, as before, were valiant words spoken within the hall. The host was in joyful hour, there was clamour of folk triumphant, until on a sudden the son of Hafdane desired to seek his knightly couch. He knew that onslaught against that lofty hall had been proposed in the demon's heart from the hours when they could see the light of the sun, until darkling night and the shapes of mantling shadow came gliding over the world, dark beneath the clouds. All the host arose, then man saluted man, Rothgar and Beowulf, all hail the king him wished, giving to him the keeping of his house of wine, and this word he spake. Never have I ere this, since I could lift hand and shield, to any other man save thee, here and now, entrusted the mighty dwelling of the Danes. Have it now, and hold it, fairest of houses. Remember thy renown. Show forth thy might and valor. Keep watch against our foes. No lack shall there be to thee of thy desires, if thou dost achieve this deed of valor, and yet live. Then Hrothgar departed, defender of the shieldings, with his company of knights, forth from the hall. Their warrior lord would follow Huethio, his queen, as the companion of his couch. The king of glory, as men now heard, had appointed one to guard the hall against Grendel, now a special office he held in the service of the Danes, having taken on himself a watch against monstrous things. Verily, the Geatish knight trusted confidently in his valiant strength, God's grace to him. Then his corslet of iron things he doffed, and the helm from his head, 
and gave his jeweled sword, best of iron-wrought things, to his esquire, and bade him have care of his gear of battle. Then the brave man spake, Beowulf of the Geats, a speech of proud words, ere he climbed upon his bed. No wit do I account myself, in my warlike stature, a man more despicable in deeds of battle than Grendel doth himself. Therefore, I will not with sword give him the sleep of death, although I well could. Not doth he know of gentle arms, that he should wield weapon against me, or hew my shield, fierce though he be in savage deeds. Nay, we two shall this night reject the blade, if he dare have recourse to warfare without weapons, and then let the foreseeing God, the Holy Lord, adjudge the glory to whichever side him seemeth meet. Then he laid him down, that valiant man, and his face was buried in the pillow at his cheek, and about him many a gallant rover was stretched upon his couch within the hall. None of them believed that he would ever return to the sweetness of his home, to the strong places of the free people where he was nurtured. Nay, they had learned that a bloody death had ere now in that hall of wine swept away all too many of the Danish folk. Yet God granted them a victorious fortune in battle, even to those Geatish warriors, yea, succor and aid, that they, through the prowess of one and through his single might, overcame their enemy. Manifest is this truth, that mighty God hath ruled the race of men through all the ages. There came in darkling night passing, a shadow walking. The spearmen slept whose duty was to guard the gabled hall, all except one. Well known it was to men that, if God willed it not, the robber fiend no power had to drag them to the shades. But he there wakeful in his foes despite abode grim-hearted the debate of war. He came now from the moor, under misty fells, Grendel, walking. The wrath of God was on him. Foul thief! He purposed of the race of men someone to snare within that lofty hall. Under cloud he went to where he knew full well that house of wine was, hall of men with gold bright-plated. Not the first adventure that he had made, seeking for Throthgar's home. Never in days of life before nor later with harder fortune guards in hall he found. He came now to the house, a man-shaped journeying of men's mirth shorn, the door at once sprang back, barred with forged iron, when claws he laid on it. He wrenched then wide, baleful with raging heart, the gaping entrance of the house. Then swift on the bright patterned floor, the demon paced. In angry mood he went, and from his eyes stood forth most like to flame unholy light. He in the house espied there many men asleep, a throng of kinsmen side by side, a band of youthful knights. Then his heart laughed. He thought he would sever, ere daylight came, dread slayer, for each one of these life from their flesh, since now such hope had chanced of feasting full. It was no longer doomed that he yet more might of the race of men devour beyond that night. There stern and strong the kinsmen of Higelac watched how that foul thief with his fell clutches would now play his part, and that the slayer was not minded to delay, not he, but swiftly at the first turn seized the sleeping man, rending him unopposed, biting the bone joints, drinking blood from veins, 
great gobbets gorging down. Quickly he took all of that lifeless thing to be his food, even feet and hands. Onward and nearer he stepped, seized then with hand the valiant-hearted man upon his bed. Against him the demon stretched his claw, and swiftly he laid hold on it, and with hate in heart he propped him on his arm. Straightway that master of evil deeds perceived that never had he met within this world in earth's four corners on any other man a mightier gripe of hand. In heart and soul he grew afraid, yet none the sooner could escape. His desire would haste away, he would to hiding flee, seeking the devil's throng. Not now were his dealings there such as he had ever before in the days of his life had found. Then the good knight, kinsman of Higelac, remembered his words at evening. Upright he stood and grappled fast against him. Fingers cracked. Out would the ogre go. Forth strode the knight. The accursed thing would fain. Could he have done so? Go free afar and thence flee away to hollows in the fens. He felt the power of his fingers in his fierce foe's grasp. It was a woeful journey that the fell robber had to Herot made. The royal hall rang. On all the Danes, dwellers in the town about, on each bold heart there fell a ghastly fear. Wroth were they both, fierce rivals in the keeping of the house. The hall was full of noise. Great wonder was it then, that house of wine endured their battling, so that it fell not to the ground, fair dwelling upon the earth, but stout was it smithied within and without, with bonds of iron cunningly contrived. There, where they fought in wrath, was many a bench adorned with gold for the drinking of mead, cast from its place upon the floor, so the tale tells. Never aforetime had the shielding's counsellors foreseen that any among men could in any wise shatter its goodliness adorned with ivory, nor dismember it with craft, unless the embrace of fire should engulf it in swathing smoke. Clamour new arose ever and anon. Dread fear came upon the northern Danes. Upon each of those that from the wall heard the cries, the adversary of God, singing his ghastly song. No chant of victory, the prisoner of hell bewailing his grievous hurt. Fast was he held, by that most strong, in body's might, in that day of men's life here. In no wise would that captain of men permit that deadly guest to go forth alive, nor did he account the days of his life of use to any man. There many a knight of Beowulf drew swift his ancient blade, wishing to defend the life of his lord and master and renowned prince, if so he might. They knew, if not, young warriors brave-hearted, as they fought that fight, and on each side sought to hew the foe and pierce his vitals, that doer of evil none upon earth of swords of war would touch, not the most excellent of things of iron. Not so, for he had laid a spell upon all victorious arms, and upon every blade. On that day of this life on earth unhappy was fated to be the sending forth of his soul, and far was that alien spirit to fare into the realm of fiends. Now did he perceive who aforetime had wrought the race of men many a grief of heart and wrong. He had a feud with God, that his body's might would not avail him, but the valiant kinsman of Higlac had him by the arm. Hateful to each was the other's life. A grievous hurt of body that fierce slayer and dire now endured. A mighty wound was seen upon his shoulder. 
the sinews sprang apart, the joints of his bones burst. To Beowulf was vouchsafed triumph in battle. Thence now must Grendel flee stricken to death to hide beneath the slopes of the fens, seeking his joyless haunts. Thereby the more surely did he know that the end of his life was come to pass, and the hours of his days were numbered. That deadly contest was over, and achieved was the desire of all the Danes. In that hour had one come from afar, wise and stout of heart, purged the hall of Hrothgar, and redeemed it from the malice of Grendel. He rejoiced in his deeds that night, and in the glory of his prowess. The chief of those Geatish men had accomplished all his proud vaunt before the East Danes, and had healed, moreover, all the woe and the tormenting sorrow that they had erewhile suffered and must of necessity endure no little bitterness. Of this a clear token it was, when that warrior bold had set the hand, the arm and shoulder, beneath the widespread roof. There was all Grendel's clutching limb entire. Then have I heard that in the morning many a warlike knight was gathered about his patron's hall. The chieftains of the people had come from far, and near over the distant ways that marvel to behold, and the footprints of that hated one. No grief for his departure from life felt any of those men who looked upon the trail of his inglorious flight, marking how sick at heart he had dragged his footsteps, bleeding out his life, from thence away defeated, and death doomed to the water demon's mare. There the waters boiled with blood, and the dread turmoil of the waves was all blended with hot gore, and seethed with battle's crimson. Therein doomed to die he plunged, and bereft of joys in his retreat, amid the fens, yielded up his life and heathen soul. There hell received him. Thence the ancient men of the court, and many a young man too, fared back from their joyous journey riding from the mare upon their steeds in pride, knights upon horses white. There was the renown of Beowulf recalled. Many a man and oft declared that south or north, the two seas between, was there no other beneath the encircling sky more excellent among bearers of the shield, more worthy of a kingly rule. Yet verily they did not in anything belittle their lord and patron, gracious Hrothgar. Nay, a good king was he. Now the light of morning was advanced in haste far upon its course. Many a knight of stout heart went unto that lofty hall to see that marvel strange. So too the king himself from his bedchamber, a guardian of hordes of rings renowned for his largesse, strode in majesty amid a great company, and with him the queen with her train of maidens paced the path unto the meat hall. Hrothgar spake. He was come to the hall and stood upon the steps and looked upon the steep roof, bright with gold, and upon Grendel's hand. For this sight be thanks swiftly given to Almighty God. Much evil and many woes have I endured from Grendel. Ever may God perform marvel upon marvel, Lord of glory. It was but little while ago that I hoped never in all my life to find healing of any of my woes when this best of houses stood stained with blood and dripping with fresh gore. That was a grief far-reaching to every one of my counsellors, who hoped not that they would ever in the world should defend the stronghold of the people of the land from the malice of demons and of devils. Now hath one young man through the might of the Lord wrought a deed that we none of us with our wisdom were able to compass. Lo, this may she say, if yet she lives, 
whoever so among women did bring forth this son among the peoples of earth, that the eternal God was gracious to her in her childbearing. Now, Beowulf, best of men, I will cherish thee in my heart, even as a son. Hereafter keep thou well this new kinship. Lack shalt thou have of none of thy desires in the world, of such as lie in my power. Full oft for less have I granted a reward and honorable gifts from my treasure to a humbler man and to one less eager in battle. Thou hast achieved for thyself with thine own deeds that thy glory shall live forever to all ages. The Almighty reward thee with good, even as he hitherto hath done. Beowulf spake, the son of Edgetho. We with all good will achieved that deed of prowess in battle, and the perilous strength of the unknown thing we dared. Yet rather had I wished that thou might see him here, Grendel himself, thy foe in his array, sick unto death. I purposed in hard bonds swiftly to bind him upon his deathbed, that by the grasp of my hands he should be forced to lie struggling for life, had not his body escaped me. I might not, since it was not the will of God, restrain his flight. I did not cleave fast enough for that unto my mortal foe. Too overwhelming was the might of that fiend in body's movement. Nonetheless, he hath left behind upon his trail his hand and arm and shoulder. Yet in no wise thus hath that unhappy one purchased him relief. None the longer thereby will he live, that doer of evil wrong, burdened by his sins. Nay, pain hath him closely gripped in a grasp he cannot flee, in bonds of anguish. There must he, stained with sin, await the great day of doom and the sentence that the bright judge will pronounce on him. Now Grendel is dead, but that's actually only part of the story of Beowulf. Later on in the story, we hear that Grendel's mother comes to Heorot to avenge her son's death. She murders one of King Hrothgar's most trusted advisors, after which Beowulf and company go to avenge this death and kill Grendel's mother, as well as retrieve Grendel's head as a prize for King Hrothgar. Beowulf eventually returns to Geatland, his homeland, and after some time ascends to the throne and reigns for 50 years. As his life is drawing to a close, a dragon disturbs his people, and Beowulf, with the help of his friend Wiglaf, goes on to slay the dragon. Beowulf, though, unfortunately dies, as the dragon has bitten him in the neck. Beowulf is burned on a huge funeral pyre, and then buried in a barrow with treasure overlooking the sea. Beowulf so encapsulates the warrior culture of Anglo-Saxon England. Beowulf himself is a great warrior, but he also honors his earthly king, and is a committed Christian. Beowulf is the ideal Anglo-Saxon man, and the way his heroics are portrayed tells us so much about what the Anglo-Saxons valued themselves. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out our other nine episodes below. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me at theanglosaxonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.